We are continuing in the book of Jacob. For those of you who are new to our congregation or weren't here for the last two lessons, you're probably asking, why are you calling him Jacob? The answer is, because that's his name. As we said before, James is not Jacob's name. In the Greek, it's Jacobus, which does not translate as James. Interestingly, that the translation that was paid for by King James calls him James, but we won't go into that. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jacob 2, verses 1 to 13. Jacob 2, verses 1 to 13, and I'm titling this message, Playing Favorites. Playing Favorites. This morning, I'm going to be reading out of the uh, RSV, the Revised Standard Version, rather than the New King James, which is what I normally read out of, because I really liked their translation of this scripture passage. So if you would, please, will you stand with me as I read the Word of God? My brethren, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord of glory. For if a man with gold rings and in fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, Have a seat here, please, while you say to the poor man, Stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the honorable name which was invoked over you? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. If you do not commit adultery but do kill, you've become a transgressor of the law. So So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Yet mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. You may be seated. Playing favorites. Let's be honest. We're all given to playing favorites, aren't we? And I'm not just talking about the Redskins or the Ravens. If you don't know it before, you know it now. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm inconsistent and hypocritical just like you are. As we dive into this second chapter of the book of Jacob, we'll see that God gets riled up when we jump to judgment by giving preference to one over another. And our main point this morning is this. If you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. If you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. 
Now, last Shabbat, we saw that it's good to hear, but necessary to put what we hear into practice. We're not to merely listen to the word, but also do what it says. And this morning, we're faced with a call to specific obedience in an area where it's so easy to excuse and rationalize both, of our, both our attitudes and our behaviors. In chapter 2, I found that Jacob uses an analytical argument to motivate us to not practice partiality. The argument goes like this. There's the admonition in verse 1, the illustration in verses 2 to 4, the explanation is in verses 5 to 11, and then the application in verses 12 and 13. So let's first look at the admonition. admonition. Jacob, chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord of glory. Once again here we find Rabbi Jacob of the synagogue of Jerusalem revealing his tenderness towards his readers as he calls them brothers. And he states to these brothers, hold the faith. Hold the faith. Well, is he talking just to them or is he talking to us as well? We're all brothers. We're all believers. Sisters and saints. Why? Because we are in the same faith, the same family, and on the same team. Can someone say amen so I can know that I'm in the right place here? There's to be no distinction, as Paul makes clear in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. We are all one in Messiah, Yeshua. Jacob, you should remember is a half-brother of Yeshua. But he doesn't mention this. Instead, he calls him, quote, the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. Now, Jewish believers would have equated this phrase, at least I think, with God's Shekinah glory. A glory that was on display as the Israelites were led all through the desert those 40 years. John 1, verse 14, says Yeshua is God's glory come down to earth, quote, and the world became flesh, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. So let's get straight who we are here this morning. We are saved sinners who are called to serve him. Can you say that with me? We are saved sinners called to serve him. Now I will say this hesitatingly. But there are some in this congregation who are saved sinners not serving him. We need to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. We are saved sinners. We're called to serve him. And if we're called to serve him, let's focus for just a moment on who he is. He is the glorious Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. In light of who we are and who he is, we're admonished to show no partiality. Show no partiality. By the way, in the Greek, this is in the present tense, which means we are to stop showing partiality. You understand the assumption here that we do, in fact, show partiality. 
It literally means in the Greek to accept the face of someone else. It's the idea of turning toward the one and turning away from someone else based simply on outward appearance, economic status, skin color, or any other kind of discrimination. So let's define some terms here this morning. The first one is favoritism. Favoritism. Favoritism is giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. Discrimination. Discrimination is the practice of treating one person or group of people less fairly than other groups or people. Prejudice. Prejudice comes from the words prejudge. Prejudice. Prejudge. It refers to discriminating a people solely on the basis of outward appearance or skin color. Racism. Racism is an explicit or implicit belief or practice that qualitatively distinguishes or values one race over another race. And my dear ones, to show partiality is incompatible with our faith. It's incompatible with our faith. Acts 10.34 says it this way. God shows no partiality. And God is the ultimate umpire, according to 1 Peter 1.17, because he is the, quote, Father who shows, no, who judges impartially. Impartially. As ones who claim his name, he expects us to treat people fairly. Leviticus 19, verse 15 says this. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. Warren Wiersbe nails it down like this. He says, quote, The way we behave toward people indicates what we really believe about God. So if you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. Next, Jacob goes into an illustration. As a good preacher, as admonish, after admonishing us not to show partiality, he gives a really vivid illustration. Look at verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. The text literally reads like this. Gold-fingered and brilliantly clothed. Gold-fingered and brilliantly clothed. This man had multiple rings on his fingers, and they weren't small. He had fine clothing, often bright, often flashy, sometimes with silver sewn into the fabric so it would glisten in the sunlight. I googled most expensive suit in the world. And this is what I found. A suit made out of a blend of cashmere wool and silk and containing over 480 half-carat diamonds. It took more than eight hours to design and stitch. There's three of them in the world, and they sell for $892,500 each. And if someone came in here wearing this, they would stand out for sure. I love what Verna McGee likes to say about this. Some go to church to close their eyes, while others go to eye their clothes. By contrast, how would you feel if a person came through the doors of Son of David congregation wearing the only set of clothes he or she owns? 
You know, he was described in this illustration as shabby. You know what shabby means in the Greek? Vile, filthy, tattered, and torn. Vile, filthy, tattered, and torn. And I believe that Jacob points out that given a choice, we're prone to show partiality to the man sporting some bling. Verse 3 uses the phrase, and if you pay attention, which means, and if you gaze upon. Dear ones, it's easy to turn our attention away from the glory of the Lord to the material splendor of someone's clothing or car or status. To the finely dressed man, we'd say, you sit here in a good place. While to the poor man, we might say, "Uh, you stand over there, Uh, sit at my feet. You see, the flashy guy gets the best seat. The filthy guy, he gets the floor. I like what someone once said about pride and prejudice. Quote, we're all made of dirt. There's white dirt, red dirt, yellow dirt, brown dirt, and black dirt. We all came from the same place, dirt. Too many times we judge someone's character by their outward appearance while forgetting we were all smelly, dirty sinners. You see, when we practice partiality, in a sense what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up as judges, taking God's judging job away from him. Well, here's a news, a news flash for you. God doesn't need any help running and judging the world. No. Check out verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Making distinctions? This has the idea of separating people into distinct categories. One reason they fawned over the rich man, I would assume, is because they thought he could increase their offerings or would do something special for them. Their motives were all messed up. And when we judge others, Jacob says we have evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Which means we have reached, quote, according to an author, malignant, malicious, and wicked conclusions about other people. So let's face it. We tend to judge the better off as better, don't we? We're prone to give preference to the pretty or to those who make us look good or can do something good for us. Proverbs 14.20 says this, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Our focus must be on the true glory of the Lord Yeshua and not on the passing glory of outward appearances. Since everybody matters to him, everyone needs to matter to us. Here's a sobering story. Mahatma Gandhi, we all know who he was, described the time he considered converting to Christianity because he saw in the teachings of Jesus the solution to the caste system which was dividing the people of India. On one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. However, when he entered the sanctuary... The usher refused to give him a seat and suggested he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned, and he later wrote this, quote, If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. 
Dear ones, if you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. Well, after giving this opening admonition and then moving on to an illustration, Jacob next gives an explanation. And in order to explain himself, he appeals to the personal experience in verses 5 to 7 and then challenges us, challenges us to let Scripture be our standard in verses 8 to 11. In verse 5, we see another what I would call affectionate appeal. Listen, he says, or writes, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers. By the way, the word, the word listen here is an urgent request on his, on his part. And it's translated in this way, to hearken and to hear, to hearken and to hear. In other words, don't let it go in one ear and out the other. And James asks four incredibly lively questions. Questions to get to see the contradictions that reside in all of us. And each question, I believe, expects an affirmative answer, a declarative yes. Question number one. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Yes. Oh, some of you are listening. Yes. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Yes, and you don't have to be AOC to say that. Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Yes. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Yes. Two weeks ago, you may remember, we looked over James 1, 9 to 11. I want to go back to it now for just a moment. Quote, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Why do we favor the rich? Why do we favor the beautiful? Why do we favor the powerful? We are most favored because we are of his. Well, after appealing to his personal circumstance and experience, Jacob now turns to scripture. Let love be your law. Let love be your law. We see this in verse 8, quote, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you're doing well. This is a quote from Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, which is also referenced by Yeshua in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. And the reason this is called a royal law is because King Messiah reinforced it. Galatians five fourteen, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the point. It's impossible to truly love your neighbor and show favoritism at the same time. Impossible. We should let scripture be our standard. That's his next point. You see, we tend to trivialize our own trespasses. (coughs) Thinking our sins don't smell as bad as the sins of others. Some of us excuse judgmental hearts. Thinking it's really no big deal. Well, I wonder if we secretly congratulate ourselves, congratulate ourselves for not committing certain big sins while shrugging off our little sins. It's easy to think, 
because we keep most of God's commands, it's okay to violate a few small ones. But actually, to break one link in the chain is to break the whole chain. Amen? Amen. Look at verses 9 to 11. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. What's the harm in ignoring people we think are different, strange or weird? You know, some of us look down on people from other races or countries, while at the same time denying that we're racist. Or maybe we separate people according to gender, or according to generation, or vocation, or location, or popularity, or personality, or even politics. Or perhaps we judge based on background, or disability, or simply because someone's not in our clique. Others of us act like spiritual snobs when we see someone struggling with something that we don't struggle with ourselves. Some of us hear about what God is doing in other parts of the world, through missions and missionaries. And to be honest with you, we just don't care. I'm real comfortable on Saturday mornings at Son of David. Well, according to a recent Gallup poll, for the first time in more than two decades, more people are saying that race is the most pressing issue facing our country. And let's face it, the evangelical church is often the most racially segregated place in America. And don't miss how repugnant partiality is to the Almighty. Dear ones, discrimination is not just ill-advised or inconsiderate or bad etiquette. In verses 9 to 10, partiality is a perversion of justice. A perversion of justice. And it's referred to as sin. S-I-N. Sin. And those who do it are transgressors, transgressors of the law, and are guilty of breaking the entire law of God. Racism is not just a social problem in our world. It's a sin problem within all of us. It's as if Jacob is reading his readers' minds. Okay, I might not think the best of some people, but at least I'm not a murderer. Notice James equates partiality with murder, much like our Messiah did in Matthew 5, 21-22, when he said to hate someone in our hearts is the same as murder. When we diminish someone by reducing their value through insults, slander, gossip, racial statements, character assassination, or treating them as invisible, it's just like committing murder. Well, James continues his argument. Jacob, he's anticipating someone saying that they've never committed the terrible sin of adultery. I mean, if we keep nine of the commandments and break one, we're guilty as a lawbreaker before God, just as if we'd broken all ten. God's law is not a set of disconnected commandments. It's a unified whole. And the sin of showing partiality, well, it's just as serious as murder or adultery. Most Jewish people, unfortunately, regard the law as a series of detached commands. 
To keep one of those commands is to gain credit with God. To break one is to incur debt in our account. And so a person could add up some of the ones kept and subtract some of the ones broken, as it were, and emerge with a moral credit balance in the positive. That's kind of what Yom Kippur is about. May my good deeds for the past year have outweighed my bad deeds. Some form of this is common, dear ones, to every works-based religion. But Jacob rejects this completely, totally, wholly. A window pane with one crack is a broken window pane. Don't worry, I'll find where I am. A person who breaks one of God's law is guilty of being a lawbreaker. There was this bishop who was sailing to Europe on an ocean liner. Can you tell lately I like telling stories? It's because I like reading them. After meeting the, the man he was assigned to share a cabin with, he went to the purser and asked to have his gold watch and other valuables put in the safe. He explained to the purser that he had never done this before, but his roommate didn't look very trustworthy. And so after taking his valuables, the purser remarked, It's all right, Bishop. I'll be glad to keep them safe. Your roommate was just here and left his valuables for the same reason. (laughs) We were all sinners who were guilty before God. And since we're in need of God's mercy, we should be known for showing mercy to others. Would you please respond by saying amen to that? Since we are shown mercy... We need to be known for showing mercy. But before leaving these verses, I I see two main principles that will help us to live on course, to live on mission with God's desire for our lives. First is to utilize questions. I've talked about this before. Jacob uses four different questions in this section to illustrate his point. One of the most effective ways to witness is to simply ask questions. There's a book called Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. Greg Kolke was the author, and he suggests following the Colombo approach to evangelism. In an unassuming way, anybody ever seen the series Colombo? Right. Detective Colombo, wearing his old trench coat, had a way of asking questions that was very disarming. His classic line when leaving a room was to say, oh, just one more thing. And so here are some ways to utilize questions. First one, do you mind if I ask you a question? Second one, what do you mean by that? Third, wow, how did you come to that conclusion? Fourth, have you ever considered? Here's the next thing. Use the Ten Commandments. Use God's law. Use his word. One of the purposes of the commandments is to show us we can't keep them. Romans 3, verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Ray Comfort, he's an expert at this approach. When speaking to someone who thinks he's a good person, you could ask if he's ever lied before. Have you ever lied before? Well, yeah. And then follow up with, well, what do you call someone who tells a lie? Or you could ask if he's ever stolen anything, even small. Yeah, I think so. Well, what do you call someone who steals? 
Then go to this passage and show where if we've broken one commandment, we've broken them all. Because as sinners, we all need a Savior. Well, we had the, admon- the admonition, the illustration. Now we go to the application. After admonishing, illustrating, and explaining, Jacob moves to applying in verses 12 and 13. We're to watch our words and adjust our actions. Watch our words and adjust our actions. Remember that judges will be judged. We see this in verse 12 and in the first part of verse 13, quote, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Notice we're to speak and act. Speak and act. So let's look at the phrase law of liberty. When we look at the law, these things should happen. One, we see that as sinners, we have broken God's law. Two, we see the need to flee to the cross of Messiah so that we can be forgiven. And then three, we are free because we've been pardoned and set at liberty. Pardoned and set at liberty. True freedom is freedom to obey God and to do what pleases Him. You see, we need to watch what we say and what we do. Because we will be judged accordingly. Yeshua said this, Matthew 7, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And the passage ends with a message of mercy in the last part of verse 13. I love this phrase. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy. It's the aspect of God's character that causes him to minister to the miserable. I was one. It's a strong word in Hebrew, by the way. And it means to feel something deeply down in your gut. It's the idea of having a deep and tender reaction of compassion. Yeshua said it like this in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, when we're merciful, we receive mercy. And we're told to be merciful because we've received mercy. This kind of mercy triumphs, which means it exalts over or against anything that can defeat us. I love this quote that I recently read. If you remember anything that I said this morning, I want you to remember this quote. It's only one sentence. It's only about 10 or 11 words. Are you listening? Never look down on anybody unless you are helping them up. Oh, I see some people writing. Never Look down on anybody unless you're helping them up. You see, a failure to show mercy reveals a failure to understand mercy. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh until he was in deep need in the belly of a big fish. Proverbs 21.13 says this, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. 
And Yeshua warns us in Luke 6, 38, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Don't you love how God is moved with mercy toward us? Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You know what this means? That he saves us in spite of our sins. Listen, if we received what we truly deserved, we'd all be going to hell right now. We don't want justice. Believe me, we want mercy. And so let's give mercy to others as well. And Yeshua, he was the ultimate model of ministering with mercy while not giving preference to people. He recruited a despised tax collector. He gave grace to a woman caught in adultery. He celebrated the little widow, that what the little widow gave while allowing the young, rich young ruler to walk away when he wouldn't turn away from his love of money. He held up the good Samaritan, hated a half-breed as the hero in a story about compassionate neighboring. Yeshua so identified himself with those who were racially and socially rejected that the Pharisees liked to call him a Samaritan which, oh, by the way, was a pretty nasty title back in the day. So listen to how he introduced one of his parables. This is in Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You see, the Pharisee prayed about how great he was. He focused on the number of external things he had while claiming to be better than the tax collector. And what did the tax collector do? Do you remember? He stood far off and wouldn't even look to heaven when he prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This sinner was shown mercy. He went home justified. The haughty man was humbled. So let me give you the rest of the story. See what I did there? Anybody remember Paul Harvey? Here's the rest rest of the story. Here's the bottom line. If you want God's favor, don't treat people with favoritism. By the way, if you don't know it, this coming February is Black History Month. Black History Month. And I believe it's appropriate to ask, are we gracious or are we racist? Are we gracious or are we racist? Martin Luther King penned these pointed and poignant words some 50 years ago. Quote, in the midst of blatant injustices inflicted on the Negro... I have watched white churches stand on the sideline and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. And so here are some ways we can get off the sidelines. One, we can repent of racist and favoritist attitudes, words, and actions. Repent. Listen to this pearl of wisdom. Quote, We cannot grieve what we do not see. We cannot confess what we have not grieved. And we cannot turn from what we have not confessed. I need to read that one again. We cannot grieve what we do not see. We cannot confess what we have not grieved. And we cannot turn from what we haven't confessed. So, dear ones, let's own our pride. Let's own our partiality. And let's own our prejudices. Let's see sin in our own hearts. Let's confess it and turn from it. No more, no longer, not here, 
not in me. Second, we can listen and love. Listen and love. Let's pray and go out of our way to connect with someone who looks different from us this week. Let's enter into an awkward conversation by intentionally moving towards someone with a different background or skin color. Let's refuse to tell or listen to racial or ethnic jokes. Grace must affect how we look at other people. And third, and finally, let's make Son of David congregation ethnically and racially diverse and yet harmonious and united. This is a place of grace. We gather together no matter our skin color or our background. We grow together because we can't grow alone. We grow together because we can't grow alone. We give to each other because of what we've been given. And we go with the good news to people who are different from us because the dividing wall of hostility has been knocked down by that good news. Mercy, dear ones, must be our message. Mercy must be our message. And the only way any of this changes in our hearts and in our habits is by remembering what Yeshua did for us on that execution stake. He was obedient and merciful to death. Let his mercy be our message. Let our mercy be our testimony. Let us not just hear, but do and understand that all the earth can be children of God. Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu. I confess myself to pride and favoritism. In many ways, not just a few. I ask you by my confession to purge it from my life. Lord, if there are any in this congregation this morning who need to say the same, I would ask that they not leave today before taking care of business with you or maybe business with someone else in the room. What an awesome thing it is when people open up their hearts and minds and souls to others and confess sins so that they may be healed. It's not just good for the confessor, it's also good for the one being confessed to because openness and honesty dwell in this place if we are open and honest with one another. And so may this lesson of Jacob speak to our hearts. May this lesson of Jacob shape our congregation. May we not show favoritism because you don't show favoritism. May we be merciful because you were merciful. And may we love our neighbor. And so fulfill the law of liberty. And let us all say together. Amen.